Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today, we're continuing a conversation about the filming of the 2001 film Black Hawk Down. If you're joining us for the first time, well, you might want to first listen to last week's episode. Either way, my guests are back. First up, Kimberly Ann Birdie, you were the LA production coordinator. Nice to see you again. Thanks. Also returning is Harry Humphreys, associate producer and senior military advisor. Harry, welcome back. Good to be back. Now, last week we talked about pre-production. Today, we're going to spend more time talking about filming in Morocco. Harry, let's start with you. Tell me about what it was like actually doing the filming. Well, once we got the training process taken care of and we got the actors on the ground in Morocco, uh, the company was formed up. The construction was going on, uh, you know, as, as always, uh, working triple time to uh, try to uh, get on schedule. They had to build uh, uh, some very complicated sets that were replicating almost exactly the streets of Mogadishu. All that uh, considered, we had tons of activity going on way before uh, we started to shoot. And most of all, we had lots of promises from the Army, from the Department of Defense. We had actually uh, an approval, a chop, if you will, as they call it, a signature from the Department, from the Secretary of Defense. But our problem uh, wasn't yet solved. The ambassador uh, in Morocco, this is during a change of, uh, of administration. So the new ambassador, ambassador had not yet been named for Morocco. So we had a, uh, a career uh, diplomat, Charge uh, d'Affaires, who was running the show over there. And she was definitely anti-military. She did not want Blackhawks flying over her city in Rabat. <laughs> she would not chop on the uh, the op order, as they call it. So Secretary of Defense chopped on it, but State Department didn't chop on it because they were respecting the charge of uh, Ferret's uh, opinion of what, uh, what was right and what was wrong. So we had to go through circles and punch all kinds of uh, special things, if you will, to uh, finally get the State Department to go along. Uh, that meant schmoozing the charge of affairs, spending a lot of time at the embassy in Rabat. In fact, we become very good uh, customers of the uh, the embassy's bar, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we became very very familiar with the uh, the entire embassy staff and uh, and the marine uh, uh, security element that was stationed there. So uh, that was one of our hangouts. But we eventually got that uh, approved. Then, uh, of course, there's a delay time from when the chop was uh, finally executed. Uh, and of course, now we're dealing with a very tight schedule. And every morning we would meet in uh, Bronco's office uh, and uh, Colonel Matthews and myself, Colonel uh, Levin Arsdale, Bronco with his very, very heavy accent. When will I see Blackhawks? <laughs> he had four Blackhawks hanging from the ceiling and he looked up and he said, Harry, I think those are the only Blackhawks we're going to see in this movie. <laughs> because they kept on promising that uh, they'd be sending them, but there was no definite uh, confirmed date of, uh, of arrival. Even Ridley was starting to get nervous, and we were starting to shoot without uh, the Blackhawks. So I, I actually told Ridley, I said, Ridley, don't worry about it. Uh, military is sometimes a little slow, but when they're committed, they're going to go. And uh, they're committed, so we're going to see them. Lo and behold, I think about a four or five days late, but they did get here. 
Now, so we're getting Blackhawks from the military, but Kim, earlier you also talked about finding Blackhawks that were privately owned. What's going on there? Like, what was the need for both? We needed to destroy a Blackhawk because there was a Blackhawk that got shot down and military doesn't leave the Blackhawk for the locals to raid, basically. Yeah. And also, it's not unusual that you try to get backup, even in the last every military movie I've done with military aircraft, there's always somebody looking for uh, either a Chinook or a Blackhawk, you know, because sometimes you can't get the military uh, DOD support. So in that case, you have to go out and find out where you can get the aircraft that will at least look similar to a military aircraft. The uh, search for Blackhawks was a backup plan also in case we did not get the military Blackhawks. There was that indefinite uh, scenario that was, that was going on at the time. Well, Harry, talk to me about what military advising means when filming is actually going on. We've talked about how you helped with the uniforms and pulled together the prep and making sure things were good. But day to day, what's your role? To begin with, uh, I, I vet the script because th this is before the script goes to, uh, uh, to the DOD for approval. So I'll, I'll uh, mark up a script and say, that's never gonna get through, that's gonna go through and, and so on. So vetting the script is extremely important. That increases their chances of getting a first pass approval, which was the case uh, with Blackhawk. I, uh, I did a lot of that before Colonel Matthews or, or, uh, or any of the other uh, military folks were there. Once uh, the script was uh, tightened up, if you will, uh, we got the approval. From there, it's a question of having all the expertise of all the commands and so on, getting the script to their liking, and then making sure we have a agreed upon script that the DOD likes, and uh, that is the basis of the production assist agreement. And it becomes a contract. So the coordinator, Andy Ortegon, in this case, his job is to be sure that we shoot everything exactly as we agreed to do it. Uh, so he's looking over, over your shoulder. Andy was outstanding. We became very good buddies and we did our homework and we tried very hard to make it right. We, there was a few things that occurred that uh, we had some uh, conflict over, but uh, it was always, always negotiated to a, a sound conclusion. Once we get to uh, the, through the training and get on the, uh, on the set, then the job is to be sure that the key scenes that uh, are remarkably have to be remarkably accurate for safety reasons and also for the liking of the director. We rehearse. Uh, rehearsals, I'll block, the re I'll block the rehearsal with the director. The combat scenes I'm talking about now. The uh, positions of players and so on in the process of blocking, you find out what's going to work, what's not going to work. The director has his mind uh, in terms of what he thinks it should look like. I would step in to, or a tech advisor would step in. They wouldn't do that. He would do it this way. Try to find some solution uh, to uh, make the scene at least reasonably accurate in terms of what the guys would be doing. So that's a day-to-day -day operation. During the very critical scenes and during the non-combat scenes, I pretty much just sit back and make sure the language is correct. Stay, I stayed with uh, Ridley constantly. I was behind him on every shot, which is another story by itself. The guy is absolutely remarkable. Uh, he sketches out his uh, scenes 
while he's waiting for the cameras to get set. Then he brings in all the department heads and he shows them his sketches. This is what we're shooting today. <laughs> and I've never seen that ever since uh, I've worked with Ridley. And now it's, uh, you know, previs and so on and so forth. But uh, it's just a re remarkable to see a true expert do his job. And Ridley is definitely that, uh, an artist as well as uh, an outstanding director. So you pretty much stay with the director. You, you try to, uh, uh, he'll turn around and say, how should we do this? Uh, because he's not happy with something. Or did that look right to you? I'll let a lot of stuff slide because I know there's an artistic element that he's trying to uh, accomplish. But at the same time, he may turn around and say, it didn't look right to him. And he says, well, how should we do that? That didn't look right. He says, well, try this. That kind of an uh, environment is what you have with an ideal situation. And my relationship with Ridley for this show was absolutely ideal. Couldn't have been better. So you're, you're there as, a, as, his, uh, as his conscience and as his uh, consultant. Well, you know, and Harry, in a combat scene, you might be informing about tactics or how you might enter a building, but also talk to me about the non-combat scenes. In other words, when they're at the hangar and you've got the pre-combat scenes and these guys hanging out, and so you have an involvement in that as well, or is that pretty well scripted? They have a good idea coming in. No, that's, uh, that's another part of it. Uh, right down to set design, set deck, and so on. Uh, what would be hanging on the walls, that type of thing. What kind of a environment uh, do these guys live in? And having the real rangers there was invaluable for that. I mean, I, I would have my input. Uh, my two colonels would have their input. But there was nothing more accurate in terms of what it was really like there than the guys that were there. And we had a bunch of those with us. Actually, Matt Eversman, who was featured in uh, characters featured in the film and book, was there a lot. Matt and I are to this day very close friends. Now, Kim, what are you seeing going on? All of this, once the filming starts, what is the job in LA? Job is to make sure everything keeps running because as whatever they need, they have to get. So if they need more uniforms, if they need different set decoration, every script change goes through the office in Morocco, but it also comes back through LA because there's a whole studio in LA that needs to be kept apprised of every single little change. Jerry Bruckheimer Films has to be kept apprised of every single word change that happens. So, and so does Ridley Scott's office. So every little thing that happens comes through the entire production office in Morocco, the entire production office in LA, on top of anything they could possibly need for filming. Also on top of that, the film itself yeah. <laughs> has to be developed. It has to get to the lab. <laughs> because we shot on film. We This was before we did everything, you know, digitally. We actually shot on film. So the film had to be developed. So all of that had to be tracked. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal back then with when you had film uh, cameras to get the film every day to the lab. Now in this particular case, the lab was in London. Uh, so, you know, it, it's uh, a flight to London, the lab uh, develops it, sends it back to country. And then uh, that constitutes what the director uh, looks at uh, every night after he shoots a movie all day. He goes over film that he's done and he brings in the uh, department heads with him so they can see what their sets look like and so on. But uh, that's a big part of making a movie. And all those notes have to go back to all the different studios on top of all of that. <laughs> so everybody knows that it's either okay, they have to reshoot something, why we're behind, why we're not behind. 
is everything okay? Was the film scratched? Was there a hair in the camera? <laughs> in the gate. In the gate. <laughs> I, I, yeah, they, I, they still say check the gate today when they're shooting. <laughs> when they're there shooting no digital. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're still support staff for every day, every moment, every... Some days are easier. Some days are not nearly as chaotic. And some days all hell breaks loose. Yeah. Well, tell me about how the actors took to this. I mean, it's one thing to put them through the training early to sort of militarize them, if you will. But then how was it actually on the ground with these kind of filming conditions? Everybody take to it. Some people not as well as others. The actors, for the most part, and, and, and I, I was so proud of everybody, really. I mean, the, the little uh, differences between the Rangers dialogue and the uh, Delta guys dialogue and the pilots dialogue. There's definitely different ways of speak. Uh, you know, it's a different, uh, it's a different business ease, if you will. Uh, the Rangers have uh, idiosyncrasies like greeting each other every day. Rangers lead the way, sir. You know, that type of thing. It's, you know, it's, that's, that's how insane it is. <laughs> but uh, the actors got that down absolutely right to the, uh, right to the nuts. But I mean, Tom Sizemore, who played uh, Colonel McKnight, has the reputation of being a wild man. Tom Sizemore was right on when it came to playing his character as a ranger colonel. I'd say the only guy that uh, had had some creative issues that he had to drift away and uh, had to create his own thing was Jason Isaacs. Jason Isaacs played Captain Steele. Jason's character, personal character, is he's a very creative guy. Uh, and uh, he's the type of guy that wants to direct the movie, even though he's an actor. Uh, <laughs> okay. Actually, I, many times Jason would come into the tent before we'd shoot a scene, and I'm with uh, Ridley. And then uh, Jason says, "Rid, can we can we try can we try to shoot me doing this and me doing that and doing?" This? And Ridley would, for the most part, say, "Okay." Uh, and then uh, he would actually give him his uh, his scene the way he wanted to do it. And then he would turn around to me when uh, when <laughs> Jason would leave the, the, the tent and he would go make the finger of scissors. Like, <laughs> 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 I got you. All right. I understand. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the rest of the actors were absolutely right on. They did a great job. We had some pretty big names there too. I mean, yeah. God, you had Bill Fickner, Ewan Bremer, Sam Shepard. Yeah, you had a ton of folks showing up for this, and it really is an ensemble piece where oh, everybody's yeah. got to do their part for things to come together. Yeah, Ty Burrell, of all people, uh, who played a, a paramedic. He, he's been a star in the TV on that, uh, what's that film of the show? The uh, Modern Family. He plays the father in Modern Family. When I see him I, uh, play that role, then I see the role he played. I'm just reminded of the role he played as an Air Force uh, paramedic. Uh, when he had to uh, actually uh, dismember a body to get the body out of the uh, aircraft. I mean, that was a very serious film, and he did a great job. Are there other specific scenes that uh, stick in your memory as far as the work you had to do? For me, my favorite scenes, visually, has to be the, uh, the action uh, of Schubert and uh, Gordon rescuing uh, Durant. Those are the two Delta snipers that volunteered to be dropped in the, on the ground to uh, rescue uh, Warrant Officer Durant, who was shot down. Both uh, Sugar and Gordon knew they were going to die. There's no question about it. But they were going in to hold off as long as they could. They both died in the process of defending uh, Durant. There was a feeling, I had a feeling, and everybody that was in that scene had a feeling of making sure that that was done absolutely correct. 
I'm very proud of that scene. The guys, the actors did a great job. If you ever go back and look at it again, just look at the way these guys work together and have expertise of handling their weapons in their duress, extremely duress situation. The other visual that I really, really was impressed with was uh, uh, the helicopters departing the airbase. Uh, I don't know if you remember that scene or not, but if you ever watch the movie again, just take a look at the precision that those Blackhawks and the little birds had as if they were each bird was an individual person marching in formation. The precision was absolutely fantastic. We didn't know they were going to do that. They had that set up themselves. We were just looking for a regular takeoff and so on. The code name uh, Irene was the code for takeoff. And uh, it, it played out very well. As you could see in uh, Tom Matthews, Colonel Matthews, played by uh, Glenn Morshower. He's in a command and control bird. He initiates the, uh, the control word, Irene. And then it's passed down the line, Irene, Irene, Irene. And we cut to each one of the guys that, that uh, repeated the, uh, the command word. And then all of a sudden, these birds take off, lift slightly, do perfect left turns and take off in formation. It was absolutely fantastic. And they did that themselves. I mean, we were quite surprised in a very positive manner. No, actually, uh, those are my two favorite scenes. There were some other great scenes. The, uh, the medical scene was very, very intense where we were trying to save uh, what's it, the, the one kid that had uh, uh, arterial bleeding. I've forgotten the, uh, the players in that, but uh, that was done very, very well. The, the feeling, the intensity uh, was, uh, was extreme. The uh, chaotic uh, combat scenes were, were many. Uh, there were comedic scenes mixed in with that, which you need to do. The actual fact that we had to stencil the names of each of the characters on the helmets of each, that was not done. We did that only because we knew that because of the quantity of people that we had playing, the audience wouldn't know who the hell was who. So uh, with the, that little uh, trick that uh, Ridley had come up with actually became a, uh, a standard for the military. <laughs> That's a good idea. We should try that. <laughs> it's often said that the, the, the military has learned a lot from uh, the movie industry. And it's true. There's, uh, there's some fantasy things that occurred that become reality eventually because it put an idea in somebody's head. Well, on a lighter note, talk to me about the rap party, which took place in Morocco. Well, I actually got to go to Morocco because my boss was lovely and decided I had worked hard enough and I deserve a nice little trip out of it. <laughs> So I flew over for the wrap party and put in, I don't know, a little work, I'm guessing. It was a long time ago. <laughs> but got to meet everybody that I had worked with by phone and everything else. It was a very eye-opening experience. I will say that. Harry, <laughs> did your wife get to come over as well? Catherine came over a couple of times. That was a great film for that because, you know, one, Morocco is a beautiful country. There's no question about it. You've got to go to the right places, of course. Marrakesh, so on, the place like that. Uh, but uh, we got a chance to uh, do a little sightseeing. And uh, when Kim came over, Kim's our buddy. So uh, we got together and uh, we uh, did some, uh, shall we say, uh, <laughs> dangerous maneuvering in terms of going to restaurants at three in the morning. 
that one one American and two uh, females that are American females, not in a, uh, a proper attire. Uh, when I said it, I mean proper attire for the Muslim uh, male to consider. Anyway, we did that, and uh, did. it was it was wonderful. It was still the best pea soup I've ever had. I will fully admit that. <laughs> well, yeah. this is a great film. We got plenty more stories we could tell, but uh, we are going to call it a wrap. Great having you guys both here. Thanks so much. Awesome to be here, and thanks so much for letting us do this. Listeners, I always appreciate your feedback. You'll find my contact info at our website, belowtheline1word.biz. That's B-I-Z. You'll also find past episodes and links to all of our social media, so check it out. Kim, like me, you've left the business. What are you up to these days? Right now, I take care of my husband, I rescue dogs, and I do a lot of pottery. Harry, you're still advising. Where else can people see your work, either out now or releasing in the future? Well, I mean, that's, IMDB is a good way to figure out what I do. But, uh, basically, I'm not on set anymore. And we have uh, SEALs and military guys that work with us. And Catherine uh, handles all of that. Thanks to her, we're still active in the business. So it's really Catherine uh, putting people on uh, set for uh, TV shows and so on. Okay, time for closing credits. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music, John Juan for our logo, and all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks again from Below the Line. Harry, one last thing. I saw on IMDb that you also worked on The Rock. But if there's one complaint I have about The Rock, it's that the military is not well depicted. Spoiler alert, but the SEALs are not going to get slaughtered in an empty swimming pool. (laughs) Jerry came to me and said, I want you to meet this guy, uh, a new uh, director. And basically, uh, uh, he's uh, got experience in uh, making uh, commercials. I like to use the commercial guys because they they shoot quickly and so on and so forth, and they've got great talent. So I said, okay, uh, glad to meet him. <laughs> so the next day I went to an, the office and I meet this guy by the name of, uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Michael he, Bay. Yeah, I, I knew you knew that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, Michael's there, young kid, bright-eyed and so on and so forth. It's now, you know, we're, we're, we're going to wind up killing the seals. I said, well, I can't do that. So that's yeah, part of the, the script. There's no way I could do that. I'm sorry. So I, uh, I left the room, you know, we uh, had a cordial departure and so on. So I get a call from Jerry and uh, next day and I said, uh, Michael said that uh, you're not going to do the movie. I said, I can't do the, uh, anything that's going to uh, involve me killing the seals. I says, well, I promise you that we'll make them die really well. <laughs> so basically that was it. And uh, it was quite an experience. It was, in terms of having fun, I had more fun on that than any, uh, any other movie I ever made.